listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So I'll admit before I get in the reading that I was kind of hoping that Sapphira and Aeneas would fall to me this week, and then when Dan explained why he did it last week, it made sense to me because I had no idea where he was going to go with that, and it was it was a helpful sermon last week because when I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it was where a little dark, not, not very kid friendly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so please join me with this reading from Acts chapter five, verses twelve to twenty-six. They're found on page eight eighty-eight and eighty-nine in the pew Bibles. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. A great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Then the high priest took action. He and all who were with him, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, being filled with jealousy, arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go, stand in the temple, and tell the people the whole message about this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. When the high priest and those with him arrived, they called together the council and the whole body of the elders of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the temple police went there, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were perplexed about them, wondering what might be going on. Then someone arrived and announced, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the temple police and brought them, but without violence, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kurt, for that reading. So our story for today uh, introduces what is going to become a really big theme in the book of Acts, prison. Specifically, the followers of Jesus being thrown in prison. All these figures we meet in Acts, um, heroes of our faith like Peter, Paul, Barnabas, every single one of them at one point or another winds up in prison. Many of them die in prison. So often we read these stories about uh, the apostles being incarcerated, and we, we'll talk about persecution, right? Christians being persecuted for their faith. Or other times we read these stories and we focus on the miracle of it all, um, this divine deliverance. 
God sends angels to free the disciples from jail, to literally break them out. You've got, you know, people are, are standing under Peter's shadow and being healed. We'll focus on the miracle of it all, that moment when the, the temple police show up and the gates are empty, and we just kind of marvel at it. All good stuff. I love a good miracle story as much as the next guy. I'm also really passionate um, about religious liberty and ending the persecution of religious minorities. That's really important. But when we put all the focus here in, in those areas, we often neglect a major focal point of these stories, which is prison itself. Prison and imprisonment are major themes in the New Testament. Half of Paul's letters are written from prison. In his very first sermon in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says that the Spirit of God has anointed him to proclaim release to the prisoners. John the Baptist winds up in prison. Jesus winds up in prison and is then executed by the state. And now in the book of Acts, we see that prison continues to be a reality for these first Christians. The apostles are in prison. If we're going to understand the gospel, we need to talk about prisons. And this is where I know I'm going to lose some of you, like right away. Um, I've been known to say some controversial stuff up here from time to time, yes? Um, whether it's criticizing capitalism um, or our lax gun laws, um, I've preached sermons advocating for women's rights, LGBTQ rights, talking about systemic racism. I usually hear nothing but positive feedback from folks. Sometimes I think I'm, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, or people are just really quiet when they have reservations. <laughs> but the only time I've ever gotten significant pushback on something I've talked about, something I've preached on, is when I've talked about race and policing. And we're going, what's that? Oh, don't call anyone out by Dave Louie. That's not nice, even if it is your brother. Um, but no, <clears throat> we're, we're going there today. We're going there today. I know this is a controversial subject. There are very strong opinions in this room, not just in Luann's family. Um, <laughs> I know this is also a very, a very personal topic. Uh, many of us have friends and loved ones in law enforcement. A few of us also have friends and loved ones who've been incarcerated. I have both, uh, for the record. I have good friends who are police officers and who work in prisons, and I have good friends who've been in jail, so I get it. I understand how personal this is and how hard it is to talk about. Here's the thing, though. This is the really important thing. We can't let political agendas and fear of controversial topics control what we talk about in church. That would be idolatry. As a preacher, I've got to go where the text leads, and to preach on Acts without talking about prisons, a book where a major theme is the followers of Jesus being put in prison, to ignore that would be incredibly unfaithful to this book. So let's talk about prisons and how we relate to prisons as Christians. You don't look like you're excited for this. Let's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, guys. It's going to be good. <clears throat> um, since this theme is going to come up multiple times in our study of Acts, uh, I want to keep it simple today, and I want to focus this teaching on uh, a fundamental shift that I believe we need to make 
um, if we take the book of Acts seriously, and it has to do with how we understand prisons, our assumptions about prison. There are two assumptions that our culture makes about prison. The first is that prisons are inherently good, and the second is that people in prison deserve to be there. Prisons are inherently good, and people in prison deserve to be there. The prison system of our country depends on most Americans, most people, believing these two things. Prisons are inherently good. We assume that prisons are a good thing. They keep us safe, uh, they help maintain law and order, and they do that by locking away dangerous criminals, right? They, they allow us to remove violent, dangerous people from the population. And that goes to the second assumption. If you're in prison, you deserve to be there. We take it for granted that everyone in prison has been convicted of a crime. They were found guilty, and now they're paying their debt to society. We don't really know how all that works, though. Like, uh, the average person couldn't tell you what actually happens in prison, uh, what percentage of people in prison uh, might be innocent, we couldn't cite statistics on recidivism, the effectiveness of prisons, how good of a job they actually do at rehabilitating people. We just assume that everyone in prison belongs there and it's a good thing. I submit to you that most of the people living in Rome at the time of the book of Acts made the exact same assumptions. And they were wrong. Here's the shift. Here's the shift I think we need to make if we take the book of Acts seriously. If we believe that this is our story, if the apostles being held in prison are heroes and God breaking them out is a good thing, we need to shift these two assumptions to this. Prisons are not inherently good. And not everyone in prison deserves to be there. That's the shift I'm proposing to you all today. And honestly, it's not that big of a shift. Can I get an amen to that from someone? Amen. It's not that big of a shift. I'm not asking anyone to assume that prisons are bad or evil. I'm not, I'm not saying we should abolish prisons. I'm not saying that everyone in prison is innocent. Certainly not. All I'm saying, based on this story from Acts chapter 5, is that prisons are not inherently good, and not everyone in prison deserves to be there. If we can't make this shift, we should be rooting for the Sadducees, the high priests, the people who put the apostles in jail. Now, you might say, but pastor, of course prisons were bad in ancient Rome, but they're better today. We fixed the issues. It was flawed back then, but our prisons are different. And we could talk all day about the state of prisons, how prisoners are treated. That's a whole other conversation. But I want to keep things kind of short, sweet, and focused. So I'm going to share three statistics with you all. Three numbers that I want to drill into your brains. I want you to remember about prisons in America. Those numbers are 531, 74, and 37. 531, 74, and 37. 531 
is our incarceration rate. We imprison 531 people out of every 100,000 in America. Um, for every, for every 100,000 Americans, 531 of them are in prison. It's about half a percent of our population that's incarcerated. That number's way down, by the way. Uh, just a few years ago, it was closer to 1,000. So like, like 2018, 2016, we were imprisoning 1% of our population uh, at that time. So it's, it's come down, uh, which is good. That's progress. We're moving in the right direction. And honestly, that number doesn't sound that bad. Right? Like, like half of 1%, that's not many people. But how does that compare to the rest of the world? There are only four countries that imprison a higher percentage of their population than us. El Salvador, Cuba, Rwanda, and Turkmenistan. Not exactly paragons of liberty, right? <laughs> like, we're number five. Um, we are fifth in the world for imprisonment. Uh, we, imp we imprison a higher percentage of our population than any other modern democracy. Just to make some comparisons, uh, go to this next slide. Um, so again, the U.S. imprisons 531 out of every 100,000 people. That's our incarceration rate. In England, the incarceration rate is 143. In France, it's 107. Canada, our neighbors to the north, are at 85. 67 in Germany, and Japan only imprisons 36 out of every 100,000 people. Russia's 300. You know, you know Russia, the, the country where you go to jail for going to a protest. They're at 300, so that's, they're, they're like close at least. But no other modern Western nation is anywhere close to us. We imprison a higher percentage of our population than Russia, North Korea, China, Iran. Could it be that Americans are just more prone to crime? Like, are, are we five times more criminal than France? Is, is, that how, is that how it works? Or like, maybe our criminal justice system is just that good at catching criminals. You know, are, are, are cities like, like Montreal and London just awash in crime? If not, then we have to ask, why do we lock up so many people in our country? Why are we beating almost the whole rest of the world? And these other two numbers might shed a little bit of light on that. Remember, there's only three numbers you have to remember today. Not all these. 531, 74, 37. 74 is the percentage of incarcerated people who have not been convicted of a crime. 74% of our prison population in the U.S. has not been convicted of a crime. Uh, a big chunk of that are folks in some stage of pretrial. Um, they've been arrested, they're behind bars, they're going to be charged eventually, but uh, they're in jail waiting on trial probably because they can't afford bail. That's one chunk of the 74%. The rest are people who took plea deals. Uh, if you can't afford bail, you don't have a good lawyer, and you're looking at it being months or even years before you get a trial, the public defender will tell you to take a plea bargain. Plead guilty to lesser charges, bypass a lengthy trial that you're probably not going to win anyway, go to prison, you could be home in 18 months. 
maybe less with good behavior. 74% of the people in our prisons are there because they can't afford not to be. The, the criminal justice system is too expensive for them. And that brings us to our last number. This is the really depressing one, 37. That is the percentage of our prison population that is African-American. 37% of the people we lock up, more than a third of our prisoners in the US are black. But African-Americans only make up 13% of our population. So if you run the math on that, that means that African-Americans are five times more likely to be incarcerated than white people. And again, we have to ask that really uncomfortable question. Do we actually believe that the color of a person's skin has something to do with their criminality? Does having darker complexion make you more likely to commit crime? If not, we've got a problem, you guys. Could it be that centuries of injustice, the racial wealth gap, unconscious bias, totally conscious bias, could all of that be contributing to people of color being five times more likely to be put behind bars than white people? I would say yes. See, prisons play a lot of different roles in society. They're not just one thing. Um, I actually think we do need some form of prison. Um, we need a place to put the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world, right? Like the, the Charles Mansons. We need a place to put those folks so they can be monitored and hopefully receive the mental health care and other services they need to be rehabilitated. I think we need that. But that is far from the majority of people we are putting in jail. And that's because locking up violent criminals is not the only function of a prison system, you guys. Prisons have been used throughout history as a place to detain undesirable populations. The untouchables. People we don't want voting. People who hold political views or religious views that stray from the norm. That's how prisons work in Russia where Alexei Navalny was just killed, well, just over a week ago, in prison for opposing Putin. That's how we're seeing prisons being used in the New Testament. And when African Americans are five times more likely to be incarcerated than white people in a history, a, a country with a history of systemic racism, that's how prisons are being used here as well. 531, 74, and 37. Now I could end the sermon here. Um, I know that was intense, right? That was a lot of information. Uh, hopefully we're all feeling appropriately bad about ourselves right now. Um, hopefully we're all in a penitent state. We could go to the table and receive communion in memory of our incarcerated Lord and Savior. But I don't want to end that, the sermon here. I want to end this sermon with some hope. A few action steps. Things we can actually do, steps we can actually take to make a change on this. Uh, so often we talk about problems in our society, all the bad stuff that's happening out there in the world, but we don't always know what to do about it. There actually is stuff we can do about this if we want to reform our prisons. 
The first is to contact your state representatives and the governor and tell them to hold the line on bail reform. Back in 2019, uh, New York State passed historic bail reform that eliminated cash bail for most nonviolent crimes. Uh, it also incentivized judges to send people into drug treatment programs and other stuff like that pre-trial instead of prisons. Um, that is part of how we got that number down to 531, by the way, are reforms like that. Uh, but right now, there's a big effort in the state legislature to roll back those reforms, to bring back cash bail, make it easier to hold people in prison pre-trial who haven't committed violent crimes. So one thing you can do if you care about this is call the governor, email your state rep, and tell them you support the bail reforms from 2019. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to get a hold of these people, go on the Google machine and type in, who are my representatives and how do I contact them? It's super easy to do. Second thing you can do is actually happening here at church this April. Uh, for the entire month of April, we're going to be hosting a traveling exhibit called Going Upstate that explores mass incarceration in New York State. Uh, we're hosting this in exhibit for the month of April. It's going to be on display in the fellowship hall. You'll be able, before or after church, to come and look at the displays, read the information, educate yourself, learn some things. We're going to have a few events here at church in April to highlight this display. Um, come out to those, learn about the impact of ma mass incarceration on our community. And then the third thing you can do is probably the most fun. And that's to hang out with Carrie and Thomas Gant. Talk to the Gants. Um, as Jenny mentioned, Carrie and Thomas were going to be here today. They were going to be um, giving out, uh, doing communion. I did check with them before I made them a point in my sermon. Um, <laughs> But obviously with Thomas's dad, they, they couldn't be here, and that's uh, totally understandable. But Carrie and Thomas, if you haven't met them, they are advocates for prison reform who are part of this church. Thomas has preached here before. Uh, Carrie's on church council. Next time you see the Gants, ask them about their work on sentencing reform, prison reform, uh, their advocacy for incarcerated people and their families. Ask Carrie and Thomas what you can do to get involved and to help. The next time they lead a small group here, which is probably coming in, in the next few months, hopefully, come to that book study and ask about their work with Communities Not Cages, which is a nonprofit they both work with aimed at ending mass incarceration. Three things you can do. Do one of them. That's my challenge. That's my plea to you. In Matthew 25, there's this famous teaching from Jesus where he tells us that whatever we do for the least of these, we do for him. Do you guys know that story? Whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me? I'm going to read part of it, and it'll be up here on the slides too. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Whatever we do for the prisoner, we do for him. And when we neglect the prisoner, 
we are neglecting him. Taking the gospel seriously means talking about controversial stuff from time to time. It means having uncomfortable conversations. If this is our story, if the Bible is our sacred text and we want to live in light of its teachings, we have to think about prison differently. And we need to end mass incarceration once and for all. Let's pray. God, help us to learn from the example of the disciples. From the examples of Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter, so many others who were imprisoned for following you. Help us to share your heart for those in prison. Use our hands to dismantle the system of mass incarceration that has destroyed so many lives and taken away so much. We ask for this in the name of Jesus, our incarcerated Lord. Amen.